Well, good morning, Mosaic. Yeah. We are um, in here, and uh, I'm, I'm just so thankful to be part of Mosaic. Mosaic's had a very special place in my, my life, my journey, uh, my process as, um, you know, we sometimes call, call it leadership, but really just my own journey with Christ. It has formed me, it's shaped me, and so I'm very much the product of, of the sacrifice. I always uh, say that no one is really truly self-made. Uh, I really am a product of, of so much of the broad shoulders here uh, that was willing to uh, allow me to stand on those shoulders and um, do th- other things. And so I'm really grateful for this, for this time and, and thankful for you. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of this really incredible season of Mosaic's life. Well, Easter was good, yes? Man, uh, so good. And uh, what we find ourselves as we continue on in the, the story as if you're here for the first time, we've been looking at uh, scriptures, starting with Genesis, moving through Exodus, taking Old Testament scriptures, trying to be as congruent as possible with uh, what we're reading. And as last week, we, we looked at the death and resurrection of Jesus. I, I hope and believe that part of the reason why you're still in this space is because it, it really does mean something. The story is so powerful because it is our story too. Since some kind of narrative that we read and we study these things, they're just words at that point, but that they become a part of the fabric of our lives means that they're integral to who we are as well. So with the death and resurrection, with Easter Sunday being so powerful, the thing that we typically do, and what I've done for many years, is we, we'll go through the story and we, we step into Acts. And we're going to do that for the next few weeks. We're going to look at the book of Acts, which is explosive and dynamic, 120 people meeting together, and suddenly God is doing something crazy through this early church, and it becomes a global movement. And we go typically right there. But, but the problem with that is we, we often forget one of the most significant pieces to the life and the events of Jesus, and that is his ascension, right? That he actually ascends into heaven to be with the Father. We almost, almost think of it as an afterthought. We kind of come back to it at some point because, oh yeah, something did happen even after the resurrection, but we don't really look at it. We don't think about it. And I confess, I've never actually taught on it. And, and so it was really kind of pressing. It was beautiful that as we go through this story, we don't, we don't overlook things, especially when it comes to the life of Jesus. That's why in this season, when we're thinking about rediscovering who Christ is, our first love, who God is, and this incredible story that we find ourselves in, we began to kind of go a little more granular on the things that are impressive, that are impressing on our lives, that are significant to the whole church as well, right? And so we're going to look at the ascension, and, and here's why this is also important. It'd be like if you watched Star Wars, and you saw Darth Vader suddenly hugging Princess Leia, right? And you would go, wow, that's a great ending, but at the very, just to kind of look at that and go, oh God, I don't know how that happened, but it's a good ending. So nothing changes if you don't know anything about the ascension except the foundation for what birthed the church, right? Or the, the idea of why ascension is so important to the story is that you don't understand why a church would not just be willing to share everything that they had with one another and everything that they could give to the world, but why they would even be willing to die for it. 
It is because of the ascension of Jesus Christ. So if you have a Bible, we're going to go into Luke, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to take the tail end of this gospel account. Luke wrote it, and then we're going to trickle into Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, because he also wrote the book of Acts. And he starts, he ends Luke, the gospel account, with the ascension of Jesus Christ, and he starts the book of Acts with the ascension of Jesus Christ. So it must mean that it's pretty pivotal in the story. Luke chapter 24, verse 50, 50 says, When he had led them out into the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple. And they worshipped him, praising God. This ascension, right? This, this, this moment where he's ascending into heaven resulted in this incredible joy, this incredible elation, if you will, that made them ask, or the word here says that it made them continuously meet to worship, and they modify all that word with the the word praise, right? Praise is that idea that you adore someone or something for who they are. And so exactly what was it that they were adoring? What about the ascension? What Christology, what theology was it that made them say, wow, we just can't stop adoring him? Well, it's this idea in Colossians 3, and it's not on the screen, but if you have a chance to read Colossians 3 and Romans 8, it talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of God now, where now he is not just Savior, but he's also Jesus' Savior and what? King, Lord. That's what created this enormous joy for them. Uh, let, me, let me go to the end of the story. I know I'm a bad book club member because I just read the end of the stories and then talk about how I knew, know all about the story. Verse 5 in Revelation 21. This is speaking of Jesus, and Jesus is speaking of himself in this way. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I know. I don't know everyone's story here, but I know. You need to hear this right now. In the life of this church, making all things new isn't discarding the history. It's actually adding. It's shaping. And thinking about even this journey wall that everyone should be a part of. Tim's being nice when he says, hey, if you want to come, I'm just going to say, you better come. I can say that. That's easier for me. I know. But you just need to come because here's the deal. It's, it's looking past in the past, but understanding how God is shaping the new, both here as a community, but even in our own personal lives. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my sons. We will be children of God. This is what it means when he ascends and becomes Lord and has his authority. As he executes and he creates, he's creating a kingdom, but he's doing it relationally. Where he's creating new things through people, right? And this for the disciples, these 
these few who are still following Jesus are realizing that the kingdom in eternity is about experiencing who Jesus is today. That it isn't some kind of afterlife moment, but actually now. And that was so exciting. It was so exhilarating for them to believe that, oh, this isn't just going to happen in some future day. It is happening today, here and now. Kingdom, heaven, eternity, all because we are connected now relationally to the Father through Jesus, the Savior, and the Lord. They didn't have to wait. That was good news. That was the good news. And they were excited to see this new world, this new creation take place. It was like the keys to the kingdom. It was access in a way that they couldn't even possibly imagine. And it was theirs. And it created this joy, this incredible worship. And I don't know, when was the last time you just fell to your knees or just couldn't help but just jump up and down and go crazy about some event or some moment. Can I tell you what the last time it was for me? It was Rip City. Right? So I have to contain myself when my children are sleeping next door while I watch Damian Lillard hit a 37-foot jumper from no man's land and somehow win a game with just a few seconds to go. As I'm watching this, I'm trying so hard not to scream because my kids need to sleep. And CJ's like, shut up. We got to go to bed. I'm like, I can't help it. And I'm watching all the interviews and I'm watching everyone in the Moda Center and they're all crazy. Nobody wants to leave. They just are erupting with absolute adoration because they thought they wanted to win. They believed they could win and they did win. And all those things led to the fact that they could just celebrate. And I was laughing about this as I was watching this, I was thinking, this is a basketball game. (laughs) Just a basketball game. And I don't like Oklahoma City Thunder, so that's why I was... (laughs) And I thought, gosh, you know, as I was reading this, and that's how I prepare for sermons. I I watch sports and and study scripture. (laughs) I was thinking... Wow, what it must have been like for the disciples to have heard that they are winning and they have won. Just the joy, the cheering. Of course, they couldn't help but be together. And for me, which was a little bit of a tough week, to be fair and to be honest and transparent with you, it was a reminder that we have won. We are winning. We are on the right side of history. As much as culture and other political realities we face are somewhat violent and turbulent, no matter what our personal circumstances might be, we are winning. We have won. This created an enormous sense in everyone, this kind of reality that, gosh, God is making all things new. Making all things new. 
Now, the tension we often feel with this kind of reality is, okay, well, Jesus is seated in some place. And as you look at art and picture, you see like feet floating up in the sky. And then there's this moment where these people who all uh, don't look like anybody here in this era are watching this and they're bewildered. But the tension is, how could Jesus be in this continuum time space up here in some seated place and still be doing his directing, his guiding here on earth? And that's where we have to back up just a little bit in the ascension count. I'm going to go to Luke 24, verse 45, 44, 45, and then I'm going to trickle into Acts chapter 1. It says in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Doesn't that sound like what we're doing right now? I couldn't help but go, wow, this is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. And this is what we're doing right now as disciples. Pretty incredible. Verse 45 says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You've seen these things. You know these things. This is a part of your DNA now. You can't escape what you've seen. This is what is going to create this enormous joy for you. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And that word power comes from the Greek word dunamai, which is what we sometimes know as the root word of dynamite. So it's very powerful. It's explosive. I'm going to send to you what my father promised. It really does make me think about Mary who's holding on to Jesus. You remember the story where she's like, don't, don't leave. And he says, I got to, I have to. Because if I don't, you won't receive the counselor, the friend, the, the advocate, right? This comes out a little bit more in Acts chapter 1. Let me read from verse 1 to 5, uh, with, uh, 6 with you. In my former book, Luke, right? Theophilus, that means God lover. I wrote all, about, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen... And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Right? This is going back to Luke 24, we just read. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Right? Wait. Just wait. Be still. Wait. I'm working. I will do a good work. Just wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which is here, which you have heard me speak about from John. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's the promise? The promise is the Spirit of God. Right? Drawing us in. Connecting us to the Father. Helping us to experience his love. What's he say? He's saying, oh, there's this new identity. There's this reality where the spirit of God is going to work within us. Connecting us to, to the father through Jesus. Right? Before space and time, he's the alpha and he's the omega. Before space and time, who is he? He's father, he's son, he's spirit. 
And he's relationally loving the real, a relationship. They're loving one another. And, and so the Spirit of God is going to draw, is going to bring the, himself into us. And he's going to make new things. That's how he's able to be here and yet so imminent and close with us, guiding channeling, changing, transforming, or what Paul would say, from one place of glory to the next in 2 Corinthians 10, right? That we are becoming the very image of God. What he wanted in, with Adam and Eve, what he had hoped for through a group of people, is now coming to fruition because now God is giving us a new heart, a new mind, as Ezekiel says. Now we're having this idea that we are so connected to the Father that we are being transformed into things of God. That's crazy. Of course, they were going nuts about this. And if you think about it for a second, just put yourself there in their shoes. Their whole lives, they studied or heard or understood that the the, the idea of, of God's presence was so holy, they couldn't have access to it. In Genesis 1-1, it's hovering over the earth, creating, so it's powerfully dynamic that way. But as we've gone through Scripture, you know what? That, that the Spirit of God is, is always in anthropomorphic places and, and, and beings. He, he's a burning bush. He, he, he's a, a cloud or a pillar of fire that you have to follow. And you think it even further, and, and Mo, Moses in the Torah, he's, he's, what, he's in the tent of meeting. The, the Spirit of God, the presence of God is in the tent of meeting. No one can get access to, to that except Moses, whose face is burning after he sees, uh, or is in the presence. I mean, I don't think anybody wanted to be in the presence of God. It was so scary. It's a massive sunburn every time. And then you, you think about Jesus there, where the temple is rebuilt. And only in that holy of holies, that back room, could a high priest who was ceremonially cleansed and perfect could be able to enter into. And now you're saying, wait a second, this is going to live in me? With all my brokenness and all my crap? With all my stuff, my envy, my jealousy, my lust, my, my hatred for certain things? That presence is going to work in me, which I could never have access to. Is suddenly possible in me, transforming me? That was incredibly unthinkable for anybody, and yet it was their reality. And it's ours today, too. So regardless of where one is in their faith, their journey, or what they've come through, the beautiful good news is he's making all things new by being so close that he will work that within us, transforming us every day into his likeness. And it doesn't really stop there. It continues on, right? Because the water baptism now is just a symbolism of what's going on inwardly, that inward reality to create something externally so we can understand eternity is where it ends. Because it says in verse 6, when they met together, they asked him, this is Acts 1, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates or to create diagrams and charts. Uh, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. I'm poking fun at how I grew up, okay? The point is not the timing. That's not the point. 
And they believed in a political power. They were thinking, oh, we're going to go back to the glory days. We're going to be a militant powerhouse. We're going to be a, a political a giant. We're going to have say over all the world. And yet he was saying, oh, no, no, no. This spirit that we're going to all encounter is going to just do such a great work in us that it's going to have his heart. And this is his heart coming out externally from, through us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They were going to, in this moment, experience the incredible grace of God, and that was going to lead them to not just somehow experience it themselves internally, but also to express it externally to the world. They were going to be witnesses. They were going to declare. They were going to shout. They were going to be kind. They were going to serve people. They were going to bless people. They were going to be in community groups. They were going to somehow be a part of what God was doing in their cities, in their towns, in their neighborhoods, in their nations, in Kosovo, across the world, across the seas. They were going to be a part of that kind of beautiful movement, just like we are today. Dallas Willard one of my heroes, um, I really did mourn when he passed, but I was grateful uh, for his work. He, he says this, and we don't have it on, on, on the screen, but let me share with you something I read. He says, he, Jesus inducts us into the eternal kind of life that flows through himself. He does this by bringing that life to bear upon our needs, and then by diffusing it through our deeds— Deeds done with expectation that he and his father will act and in our actions. And this becomes what I think is the the essential point of this passage, which is that the Spirit of God is doing something. The Holy Spirit is doing something in us and through us. He's doing that to make all things new. Right? These are powerful words. But for the disciples, they would have read that list and said, I get Jerusalem, I get Judea. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just say Samaria? They would have said that. Because for Samaritans and Jews, remember the woman at the well? She says, we do not worship together. What are you doing? And he says, no, no, on my holy hill, we do. Right? It starts to serve, and then they engage one another. And that becomes the, the global picture of, of what the church looks like. And in Acts chapter 2, and we'll look a little bit more of that probably next week, that you even see when what we call the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit really does start to work itself through. Now suddenly the, the, the disciples and those who are, are meeting together are, are somehow being filled with the Spirit in such a way that there are other languages being spoken. And literally it goes through a list of all the other cultures and languages and everyone's bewildered. How is this possible? Right? How is this even possible that somehow this incredible group of people are somehow speaking all our languages? You see, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a kind of picture that said we're going to go into all parts of the world. And yes, in our lives, the most uncomfortable parts too. That was the picture. And that was the framework for the church. That there would be this new identity within, but also as the Spirit would do great things, He would do things through us, making all things new. And we have to have both. 
We absolutely have to have both. Otherwise, whereas A.W. Tozer says, we're demi, we're demi disciples. I find that a fascinating statement. We're half. We're half of everything. We're not really the whole thing. Right? Because I know for myself, and I'll just speak openly for me, I tend to focus a lot on the mission. I'm, I'm, I'm more the, let's, let's go. We got, we got things to do. People to meet, needs to be met. That's me. It really is. Right? And, and then some of us in this space, I imagine, are, uh, tend to bifurcate or tend to go the other way or, or, or just tend to lean in that, man, I, I'm, I need to be in that spirit. I need to be transformed. I need to have, I'm a, um, you know, I love every day I, I hear 10 podcasts. Right? And, and here's the problem. The problem is that if we're, we're leaning on one or the other, we're just, we're kind of half-baked. I, uh, my kids always say to me, Dad, I love it when you take care of us when mom is gone. I'm like, what? Because we eat the food we never get to eat. <laughs> Which is true, and every dad knows this. Every dad knows this. It's like, that is not true. Yes, it is. Because I get to eat the food I never get to eat. <laughs> so we're in Albertsons in the frozen food section. And I'm looking at what we're going to have for the weekend. And I look over and I see something I haven't eaten for like years. And I'm thinking about like, man, when I was a kid, I ate that. It was a chicken pot pie. You know what I'm talking about, right? You don't want something, right? Chicken pot pie? Okay, okay. I'm just looking at it and be like, hmm? No, like, okay, I'm going to eat one of those. And I was just thinking about this last week. I was thinking, man, it would be horrible to have a chicken pot pie without the chicken. It just wouldn't be a chicken pot pie. Or for that matter, if I made the chicken pot pie and I only cooked it halfway, you would never enjoy it if I fed it, if, uh, if you tried to consume it. You wouldn't want it, and you certainly wouldn't want me to eat it. And it wouldn't be very fulfilling, and it wouldn't be something you would want. And yet, here we are at times as people and followers of Jesus, consuming half-baked things, consuming a half-baked Jesus. He's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. Half-baked at times, I find myself leaning on one or the other. I'm on the mission side or I'm on the, if you will, the country club side where there's a, almost a passive elitism that's growing without, because, there's, as GM says, there's, there's nothing good without deeds, right? Faith without deeds is just dead faith. And so I have to take all of who Jesus is and I have to be willing to yield my heart and my mind in the spirit to be the whole church. And as a community, why I love Mosaic is that is true of us yesterday, it is of us today, and when you all come to the journey wall, you will quote me, and you will write that on a sticky, and it will be of us in the future. That we know is true. And so, how and what do we do? Well, that's in future weeks to come, right? What does that look like in the church? That's, that's coming, and I can't wait to be able to hear that, and I know it's just going to be good. But today I thought what we might do is just take a, maybe a, a step back, like the disciples were with Jesus. Before we press go, right, the go button, because we're in a season of our own jubilee, that we might actually have 
a corrective posture before the Lord. I, I, I need this every day, and I, I, and I think as a community, we need this now. But that confident posture. Let me read one last verse here at the Ascension piece where it says in verse 9, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And then verse 10 says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. <laughs> when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, I'm assuming these are divine beings. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Right? It's, he's coming back. He's coming back. Our, our destiny is not unknown. Our future is not mistaken. We do not have to sit here and wonder. It's like, don't worry about that. He's coming back. And now it is your time to lean in. Have a confident posture, knowing in every way that Jesus, who is Savior and Lord, is in every way doing something in us and through us, because he is absolutely Lord. He is absolutely King. And we are his people. And we do not have to shy away from what he's calling us to do. So lean in. And here's my challenge. And it's a, a prayer. It's a powerful prayer. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, challenging myself because I need this prayer, but I, I'm inviting you into the challenge. Would you, as we go through the book of Acts, or at least if you would test or beta this, the next seven days, would you pray every day, at least somewhere in your space, your day. Jesus, allow the Spirit to work in me and Spirit, empower me to do what you're asking me to do next. And don't be surprised if in the next coming weeks or months, we are starting to tell more stories about how God is making new things in us and through us. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And we're going to take from the table. And so I would just invite you now today to pray, because this is the easiest, if not the most safe space to pray that prayer. And if you're saying, oh my gosh, John, my life is jacked up. You do not want me to pray that prayer. If that's your answer, then you need to pray that prayer. I need to pray that prayer. You pray that prayer as you come up, and as you do so, you take, you take the, the bread that was broken, and, the, and you dip it in the, the juice of the bowl that represents his blood shed for you, knowing full well that he is indeed Savior, and that you can come before the throne without any condemnation. No matter where you've been or what you're going through, it's okay. He still wants you to take from him and, and consume and be filled with him. And as you've prayed that prayer and you are exiting even into worship, uh, at this space after worship, just know you're declaring he is Lord and that he, in fact, is making all things new. <laughs>